When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. I'm really excited uh, to have a guest today of a, a writer, Maza Mengiste, who is Ethiopian-American and who I've known for many years. And I actually think that I may have met her first in Italy. Okay. And I think she was maybe in, she's in residence sometimes in Venice, and she's written several books about um, Ethiopia, where part of her family is from, and um, about the Italian presence in Ethiopia and that colonial history, which is not that well known to many Americans. I think not really at all, and yet it was such a huge, obviously, force in the life of the of the nation of Ethiopia, right. and um, was such a big component of Italian history in the early part of the 20th century, too. And that part, I think that it's part of Italian history, is also something that Italy has quite successfully repressed, in a way. Sure. And so, so Maza is an American writer, mm -hmm. and it's a really beautiful story how she actually decided and she'll tell us in this interview one day to become a writer. Yeah, not and exactly an easy career choice to make with no guarantee of success, it, no particular validation from the world, although I guess she did say she went, she got an MFA, right? She, she got an MFA go at NYU and she became, and then the nice thing is she has become a very, very uh, well-recognized writer. The Shadow King is her most recent novel. Which I'm reading now and is unbelievable about <laughs> the, the kind of Italian-Ethiopian. Yeah, kind of very harrowing, also moving and pointing story about women sort of who are going through this process of the Italian kind of occupation of Ethiopia yeah. really and then this liberation and what the aftermath of that is and she's been recognized by The Guardian as one of the top 10 novels out of the African continent although she writes in America mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, and Beneath the Lion's Gaze was her first book, um, but The Shadow King has really kind of established her now as one of the voices of contemporary literature to to reckon with, to engage with, and as you said, a v truly moving book, I think. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And um, sh hers, she's also just such a charming person. You knew her before, I'd never met her. And uh, just in terms of her delightful personality and warmth and sense of fun, uh, this is one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Yeah, I'm really happy that we got her on the, on the show today. We're so excited for The Shadow King to Thank come out. You. Incredible. Yeah. Good, good for you to have completed and released yeah. this book. I'm relieved it's done. Thank you. Um, I'm grateful. Yeah. So, so maybe an easy answer, or maybe not. The first question on the Proust questionnaire is, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Oh. Um, we start easy. Yeah, that's, a, that's an easy one. <laughs> perfect happiness. You know, I think it's... Um, being somewhere quiet um, and pretty with, uh, with my husband, and I know that my family and my friends are nearby. But mm -hmm. I have a good book, and I have some ideas with a pen and paper. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's a nice full portrait. Okay, of, good. Yeah. Of, uh, okay, the next question is okay, the, the flip of this. Uh, what is your greatest fear? Oh... Um, complacency. Hmm. Yeah. You mean that you would be completely complacent? complacent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just accepting the easy as as fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I've been laughing with Uli lately at just how 
negative. <laughs> These first several questions are after the 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 curveball of perfect happiness. So apologies, but what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Procrastination. Oh, okay. Really? I th- yeah. I hate when I do that, and yeah. I do it. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, right. I got, and then you don't want. I don't want to face whatever it is. If it's an email, or if it's a deadline, yeah. or it's something else. Yeah. Yes. And it doesn't. It just feels worse the more you put it oh, off. Absolutely. Of course, which you is why you're it. only hurting you yourself. Know it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. All right. That's the worst. That, yeah. That I. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's not about my opinions, but I completely agree with you. It's a terrible feeling. Okay. What is the trait you most deplore in others? narrow-mindedness, mm-hmm. rigidity, maybe that's it, inflexibility of thinking, yeah. of imagination. Yeah. Yes. Which living person, more positively, do you most admire? Oh. Living. Greta Thunberg. Yes. Yes. I think yeah. right now she's at the oh, top yeah. of my list mm-hmm. with every response she's been given to everything. Mm-hmm. And at that young an age, yes. too. To have it's such. incredible. Yeah. And I think we are seeing a, someone who is really shaping history. We'll look back on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mahala, what is your greatest extravagance? My pens. <laughs> what kind of pens do you have? Fountain pens. <laughs> okay, good ones? <laughs> yeah, and, but a lot of vintage. Oh, cool. Really? So, so you collect? Yeah. And so it's, I don't know if they're, they're not necessarily always expensive as fountain pens go, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really into, you know, I'm looking at 1920s, 1930s, okay. um, different kinds of flexibility and, and, you know, gold tip mm-hmm. and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a nice. private joy nice. that I have. Yeah. yeah. That's do you write by fountain pen? I do. Yeah. And also my my paper I'm really picky about. Okay. So I have, um, I am really selective with that. I write by hand now. I've started switching everything. How did you do that? It, it always feels like Shakespeare did it. Proust did it. Like a lot of really I, I, good people I do did it. it. <laughs> and now, and, and you two do it. Well, but Shakespeare and so. Proust did not have the availability of a laptop. Right. They didn't, they they didn't had, necessarily no, choose. They make it sound like it's an unusual thing for Shakespeare to write. No, by. but I always think it's so hard to think without a tweet. Yeah. I couldn't thank the Lord. but um, Or maybe not. Maybe that would have been great. But no, I mean, I always feel like I can't think without the cut and paste and the mm. word processing. How did you make this switch? Sure. Uh, it came at a, at a point when um, I was writing this novel that just came out and I had finished it and it was a horrible draft. Mm-hmm. It was a, just a really bad book. And I decided that I was going to do everything again and I, I would switch the way I approached writing, the way I approached the story, the way I approached just time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I switched and I started writing... Um, I got a fountain pen, got a notebook. The first pens just leaked all over me, and then I figured out what I was doing and what kind of pen I needed. And um, it's I forced myself to slow down my thinking, mm. slow down the writing, and it helped pace pace me in ways that um, I was giving my my brain time to make these leaps as my hand was working across the page. And now I do it. It's just the first thing I do before I transcribe back onto the computer. But I, I mean, I was doing this in college before we were actually getting really comfortable with computers. Sure. I did everything by hand, I realized. So in many ways, I'm just moving back to how I used to do mm. things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. Mm. The pacing part, I think, is kind of you can hear it in your sentences. I think when you write by hand, you can hear the breathing. Yeah, because you can't it. really by hand write faster or slower than your body is. So something about the rhythm of the sentences, I think, mm-hmm. on a computer you can move the cursor back and insert right. more stuff. Right. So it's a Absolutely. skeleton you can yeah. cut apart. It's but yeah, and you tend to do less revision while you're writing. You cross out a sentence and move on. Yes. So you don't just keep on pushing things down and rewriting the same thing. Exactly. That, it, that, that is not my procrastination. I just keep right, on rewriting ex- the same paragraph exactly. otherwise. And then what I realized, too, is that um, there were I would write something and say, wait a minute, I, I crossed this thing out two pages ago, but I haven't deleted it like I would on a computer, so it's there, and I can look at it and say, ah, this is where it actually 
mm-hmm. should be. Right. So it's right. it keeps things alive. Uh, right. The page does. Yeah. Um, and nothing has ever really gone. And it's fascinating for me to look back. And I this has happened to me again and again. I will look back on something I've written, um, and I'm several several chapters ahead at this point. And I'll look back and say, oh, wow, this is actually a plot point that I can develop at this point. But mm-hmm. I never would have gotten it on a computer because I would have deleted it. Yeah. Yeah, or it's just kind of lost in some previous yeah, screen. Or... absolutely. So the fact that you can see it all, yeah. too, is that part yes. of it? yeah. And it's material. It is. Yeah. It's actually you created it. Yes. And the computer, I don't even quite know because it's sort of it this, computer is ephemeral thing. It has no relation. It's sterile. Yeah. yeah. It's a sterile space, and your thoughts are not that way, and imagination isn't that way. I think there's something very tangible about the paper that, um, that I like. What kind of paper do you use? Uh, Japanese paper. <laughs> extravagant. <laughs> okay, we told the extravagant. Best, they make I mean, the best one. Germans yeah. are closed. Oh, okay, yeah. But, <laughs> sorry. So no. <laughs> Good to know. But yes, <laughs> I write on legal like, pads. You do. Yes. Yeah, they have yellow, some le- that are yellow, uh, yeah, yellow American it's, legal pads. Okay, I like that format. Try this. I really want to be a lawyer. It's really good. Yeah. No, that's about something else. Okay. <laughs> Aspirational paper choice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but in that sense, I think it sounds like it sounds like absolutely it's the case that pens and paper are not an extravagance as much as kind of a professional. If they become a professional necessity, yeah, it feels a bit like a luxury. But when you can get a pen for what? When nothing. You know, nothing. Yeah. Um, But then I always say, you know, I'm actually not throwing away plastic pens either as they run out. I'm refilling the ink in my pen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm keeping it. Yeah. Yeah. What color ink do you like to use? Um, My favorite is one that I think is about to be discontinued, so I'm stocking up now, but it's called Blue Velvet. I really like blue. Blue, yeah. And then when I feel like I'm uh, working on some large essay and I need to color code, you know, major Mm -hmm. ideas, I have different colors and... um, you get into, I mean, people can really get into them if you start following on Instagram. Oh, I know. There's mm. a shimmer fountain pen ink, mm. and it just runs the gamut. So When you were in school, did you use a fountain pen? No. no. See, I, really I had to. Yeah, same. Ah. I went to school in Europe, to. and yeah. I had to. We were not allowed to use. Ballpoint pen was completely not accepted. Gosh. Pencil or fountain pen. Yeah. And part of it was to learn how to use a fountain pen. And actually, there's some institutions in Europe use fountain pens for signatures and it's required because you have to uncap the pen and think about it before you That's sign. That's exactly. So mm-hmm. it's a moment of, of reflection. That's fascinating. So you also wrote with fountain pens. Yeah, sentiment. and where we had, I, I went to school in Switzerland as a kid um, and we had to color code things like, so I went to a French school but I didn't speak any French uh, or very little and they had us write like the different verb tenses in different mm. colors at the end. Oh, and so it made smart. it kind of fun. I was 11, you know, so it was, made it kind of fun to have these different colors of ink to play yeah. with. But I had never heard that about, I mean, I knew that like in France, I would never send somebody a letter written in a, in anything other than a, in a fountain pen. Oh, interesting. But I didn't know that about the sort of the moment of reflection yeah. and why that's. Yeah. So the, at the, on the German. pacing again. That is, that's yeah. what it is. Right. There's so, a moment of yeah. Yeah, time involved. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that's why we love this questionnaire. I feel like we got a whole lesson on you know, potentially, to me, very helpful writing um, approaches. Uh, what do you consider? Oh, no, I'm sorry. What is your current state of mind? <laughs> I'm on book tour. So when I'm not exhausted, mm-hmm. I am inspired by the conversations that I'm having with people. Um, the people who come to the readings, the people who share their experiences, who have their own very interesting connections to this history of, you know, Italy and Ethiopia and the war of the 30s. So that is fascinating to me and keeps me going um, when I'm not tired from (laughs) the long nights and early mornings. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you consider the most overrated virtue? We think probably that society believes is a good thing oh gosh uh maybe i would say now (laughs) what's the most overrated virtue bluntness 
Mm. Oh, I feel yeah. like we've we've worked our way into a corner with that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we haven't found the right balance between empathy, sympathy, and honesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So bluntness, like in political discourse, or in, in yeah, and we see it. You know, we we've we've seen the damage it's done, and then that rhetoric leads to actions that are, co you know, coded in violence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On what occasion, if any, do you lie? Oh. <laughs> I was thinking the other day about this. I was thinking about, um, if a woman has lipstick on her teeth. Yeah. <laughs> what I say? And how many times have I not said something? And right. that's also a lie of omission because everybody is staring, and <laughs> <laughs> and I won't say, and I don't say it, and I just uh, told myself, and it, it's not f from anything, any a particular occurrence, but I just said, you know, I'm from now on, I'm going to say something. Yeah. But I don't know why we don't, and that feels like a lie. When you're sitting there talking to somebody and they have something in their teeth or something on, you know, and nobody says anything. Yeah. I think that's a, I don't know if it's an American trait or I have no idea, but I feel like that's a lie and I'm going to stop doing that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should all stop because I think it's symptomatic of, of this, of a kind of politeness that's. Sometimes just not that good. Yeah, and even counterproductive. Like the person whose feelings you've spared by not mentioning the lipstick on their teeth are more mortified when they go home. I mean, it's happened to me. Me too, all the time. I've, like, I've given up on lipstick somebody... for that reason. Yes. Basis. Uh -huh. like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess you're right. I guess that is a, as opposed to the radical honesty of like, I don't know you, but you have lipstick on your teeth. Yeah. Or I do know uh, you, and you have lipstick on your teeth. But when would I lie? I guess when would I lie is um, if it's t too late for honesty. If if like the damage has been done already, mm. if something mm. has been wrecked, mm. and and then and I might just say let it's okay, you know it's yeah I'm not but I think I would I would do that. Um, I'm sure I would lie. Not to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Who me? <laughs> right. I didn't break that. And the doctor is like, "How many? How, do you drink alcohol?" You oh know, God! Like one glass. Right. You know, I always lie. We all have. We how have many to lie. Glasses a week. Right. Do you, yeah. Right. So. Because if it's like more than two a week, you're an alcoholic, <laughs> yeah, according to some. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> Although actually, a shrink friend of mine told me that they learn in medical school to like triple the amount that the person says. Oh. And I don't know if that's just with people who are manifestly problem drinkers or if it's a general rule, that's but now I really sure wonder if I should say, like, a third of a glass of wine Nobody a week. tells the truth. I know. One sip a week. One yeah. sip a week. Just, just the one sip. A sniff a week. It's easy for me to stop. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but... but. Uh, yeah, I guess, I, yeah, that I, I, if there's already, I guess there's damage that's been done, I, and I don't even know what situation that would be, but mm -hmm. um, I've had maybe friends come up and say, I'm really sorry that this happened, that I said, you know, and yeah. like, and even if it's not okay, at some point I have to say, it's, it's okay, we'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, even if I'm Let's not go on because it just will be more <coughs> hurtful, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. nothing will be restored, but right. it just adds, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Instead okay. of just dragging it out yeah. and having them right. continue to explain themselves. Yeah. So. Um, what do you, again, another negative okay. question. Yeah. What do you most <laughs> dislike about your appearance? Oh, you know, I'm short. <laughs> I do didn't know okay, that. and right. that has always been. There are times where I said, "My God, I wish I was taller." You know, I wish I were. I really. There have been times, certain times, where I've told my friends, "If I were, if I were bigger and stronger, there'd been many people in this world who would have been punched out." Like, I would have started many more fights. Okay. I know that I, like, but this. Because you can like, back it up. Like, what could you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, you know, and, um, yeah, I think it's it's the height, but I, I, it was a losing, that's a, my family, I come from a family of very short people. <laughs> so you became a writer. And I became a writer. There so you go. I What's can, the mightiest I sword? Because yeah. yeah. when you're in the school, you know, you're like a, I was a school kid and, and kids would push. You know, yeah. kids are cruel. I would turn around and like, 
oh my god, if I were bigger, like I would jump on you right now. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's uh, that's it. Okay. Um, which living person do you most despise? Oh god, you know what's too easy. Hmm. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of enablers. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> where I think. But I really. Um, yeah, if there's any kind, if there's like an, an unadulterated hatred, mm-hmm. like sheer hatred, it's the current administration and Trump. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, and that seems like an easy, a really easy answer, but which I mean, is terrible to live in a time where the answer. But that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I think Ivanka would be right up there because she's really using this role to be manipulative in ways. Yeah. 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 And yeah, she, my hope when he unbelievably won was that somehow at least <clears throat> she would be as kind of educated, seemingly rather yeah. intelligent woman, yeah. that she would be able to be a um, kind of a check and a balance yeah. on that level of yeah. crazy. And I think it's, you know, those, like you're saying, all those people around him that continue to be complicit and not only complicit, but taking a, they're taking advantage of the wreckage. And they're making choices. And, yeah. And he has several yeah. children, and not all of them are playing the same role. Right. So Ivanka plays a certain role, and there are other children. So in some ways, it's a choice. And I think it's important. It's not she has no choice. Right. She's an adult, and she's making a very deliberate yeah. choice. So in some ways, I think that's the part yeah. where you think you could have exercised some of your own judgment and made decisions on behalf of certain things that you could yes. help. Yeah. But it doesn't look like that's... Well, she's made choices. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's and it's... It's so deceptive. It's not deceptive for for many of us here in the U.S., but what's happening on an international level with her whole PR, hmm. um, I just find despicable. And it, yeah, and I did not think it was possible for me to hate somebody that I didn't know very well, hmm. yeah. but it is a pure hatred. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I wish he, I could think of something more creative, but mm-hmm. that I think he he wins right yeah. now. Yeah, and that's where we are now. I yeah. Think, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess you know there were always people who rabidly hated the Clintons and were convinced that they were criminals. So maybe it's inaccurate for me to say that what feels unusual about the time we're living in now is that it's not an unoriginal answer, but it's an answer that feels very urgent to many of the yeah. people that we've spoken yeah. to, and it's hard for me to think in recent memory about a time when. We would have had that overwhelming a number of people right. reacting in that way to that's the current right. administration. Yeah, Whether, that's exactly. You know, I didn't love George W. Bush, but I, I didn't despise right. him. Um, right. It's also not, not a political feeling. And in some ways, what you're saying, people could have hated, not hated the Clintons. In some ways, this is a different one because it has a global dimension yes, to it. Yes, absolutely. So uh, the, the, the consequences of yeah. everything that he says is unbelievable. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, oh, this is me. Uh, what is the quality you most like in a man? Oddly gendered, uh, and you'll get woman next. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, I saw those. I, th- I think it's going to be the same. Uh, but I would say humor. Mm-hmm. But it's also what I what I like in in a woman. So I, that's I the just, next question. So also, yeah, the quality I you think, most like in a woman. Right. Humor. Yeah, I yeah. really people who. Who have a sense of humor, who who like to laugh, are usually the the people that that I have around me in one way or another. I also think it's a really critical thing today when there's so much, so many things to hate. Mm-hmm. I think without humor, it actually becomes very leaden in That's a way. It. And I sort of think there has to be a space. And it's very hard to come up with it, but it's very important. It is very important to mm-hmm. laugh because you don't want to maybe laugh at this particular thing but you want to laugh yeah and if you lose your sense of humor here you can't you're kind of trapped it is because <laughs> so, then you're just in this negative space right and it's and it, it wears you down there's yeah you need yeah. those bursts of i think right. bursts of light yeah and levity yeah yeah which words or phrases do you most overuse oh my gosh a friend of mine just picked that out for me this summer I say, um, she said, I've switched. I used to say, oh, my God, that's so funny. And she said, but now you're saying that's hilarious. <laughs> I said, we're in extreme time. Right. <laughs> that's what's happening. The humor is ratcheted up, and so is the response. <laughs> Jeez. 
So I think I I use that. And what else do I um, like? My I you know my I I'm sure I know I have these verbal tics, but I I always I also say this is so interesting. Hmm. It's so interesting when I'm talking to people, and I I wish I could find another way to say. I'm interested in what you're saying. Yeah. But I don't know That's a what that one, is. Well, it's right? I have the same take. That is my take. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's so interesting. And I actually do think I believe it's interesting. No, but I people do. say yeah. to me sometimes, okay, you say that a lot. Yeah. That's that. And I do find a lot of things interesting, but I don't but know what else to, to say. there has to be another word. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to find it, too. Yeah. This, uh, this friend of mine and I, uh, Maurice Samuels, who's a, a, a French literature professor, and he was like me, and he was in college with uh, me and Uli way back in the day. He and I used to joke about how we had to come up with an alternative when grading papers, undergraduate papers, for good or bien. You know, in the margins, like bien, bien, check mark, bien. And uh, one of our senior colleagues, like, lit up when we complained about this. And he said, oh, I've spent decades perfecting, you know, my... He's like, now I write perspicacious and astute. Perspicacious and astucieux. So I now, when I really want to actually elevate my own game and imply it... I can't remember this from school that I looked up, I was really interested in this word interesting. Oh, and it's see. from the Latin interesse, which means to be in the middle of things. Mm. I like and that. And I also, I remember as a child being really interested, to not ever use this word, in this word and to be in the middle of things. Mm. So for me, interesting really means you're in it, you're immersing yourself in something. So yeah. I always had this, the, the word was very engaging, drawing you in, and it wasn't just looking from a distance. But I think people hear it as like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think, yes, I want to hear more. That's but I think they hear sometimes like, I've judged it as interesting and I can move on. Like right. it's filler somehow. No, for me, it's, yeah. I actually want to like, tell me that's more. That's exactly. Tell me that, more is good. Tell me tell more. more. Tell, tell me more. more. Tell me more. That's unless like, you don't, people, unless you're not that interested. Well, no. <laughs> that's from Grease, the soundtrack. Tell me tell more. Me more. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perspicacious and astute. I knew. I, like I knew your interview would be perspicacious that. and astute. Yeah, it's. We love to. Yeah, throw Tell that one more. out there now. Tell me, more. Tell me more. I never want to write on a student paper. But, um, what or who is the greatest love of your life? Oh my goodness. Well, I would say my husband. Um, and you said what? Also, which I find very, very interesting. Um. I'm trying, oh, yeah, okay, well, my husband, yeah, um, but my camera, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my okay. home camera, really, that I carry, I, I will yeah. take it with me, um, but I remember uh, many, many years ago when another camera I had with my lenses and some film I had taken got stolen, oh. and how it really felt like mm -hmm. a human being had, had mm -hmm. been taken. Mm -hmm. Um, and it took me another six years to pick up a camera again mm -hmm. uh, because it was mm -hmm. such a devastation. I didn't want to want anything like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And now I'm back at it. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that would be mm -hmm. it. Okay. When and where were you happiest? Ooh. Uh, I would say my childhood in Ethiopia... I was probably the happiest, even though it was also the early days of this revolution that started in the 70s. Um, it was also that a moment when all my family was together. Mm. And we've never been together like that. Everybody went into exile or, or um, you know, the, the revolution wrecked, wrecked the family. Um, but we were all together at some point. There were weddings, birthday parties. I just remember all mm. of those good moments. Yeah. Uh, before this big change and upheaval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's lovely. Um, which talent, presumably that you don't have, would you most like to have? Uh, drawing, painting. Hmm. I really wish I could do that. Yeah. I really wish I could. I'm in awe of that, of that skill, yeah. that gift. Would yeah. that? Do you feel like that would enrich your, your? current creative process, your literary process somehow? I think somehow? so, yeah. yeah. And I haven't, I don't think I, ha I don't have, I don't have depth, I don't have that, The I can't see depth on paper. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I think it would. Again, it's the working with the hand. It's, it's, a, it's a process that still feels 
as organic as it was mm. for cent- as it has been for centuries. Yeah. So I am um, I'm in awe of that. And in fact, um, while I was writing this book that just got published, I was reading Leonardo's notebooks, Da Vinci's notebooks, wow. and just looking at all of the ways that he was speaking about drawing and how you how you create depth how you render a battle on canvas. Mm. I was looking at that mm. as ways, mm. how can I translate that into words? What is mm. he doing? And he has this con- this phrase that I, it's about drawing, but it's also something that my character says and to his son, who is going to war to fight against Italy, to fight against Ethiopia. I'm sorry, he's Italian. Um, but Leonardo says the boundaries of bodies are the least of all things. Wow. And he just, it's, there's tons of things like that. And it's, he's really, it's a way of seeing, but not just the canvas, but life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, I've been reading that and periodically I still go through, but some of his phrases are in my book and that's one of them wow. that appears a couple of times. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. really I have great. to think about that phrase. Yeah. The boundaries of bodies are the least, least of, of all things. Least of all things. Well, yeah, because if you're Leonardo, hmm. you can modify yeah. them with yeah. the stroke of a... And he's in, I think what he's meaning, don't draw the line. Yeah, you don't let, have to. Let the figure blend. Into the space, yeah. Yeah. And that informed the way you approach yeah. character mm-hmm. in this novel? Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, perspicacious and astute. Okay, uh, Uli, <laughs> you're up. <laughs> if you could change one thing about yourself, yeah. what would it be? Um... I wish I didn't need so much sleep. Oh, yeah, like, I wish. Yeah. I, there's just so much. Where, and I say, well, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> but I really wish that um, there was a way. I remember Michelangelo had this, was trying to do this experiment at some point where, or was it Leonardo da Vinci, where he thought maybe human beings only need 15 minutes of sleep an hour. Okay. Mm. So okay. it's a constant, mm-hmm. constant napping. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Like but intermittent still, fasting yeah, somehow. But yeah. Still, that seems to, that would seem to wreck your creative process, I would assume. But he was trying to do that. Huh. And at some point, I think it was Da Vinci, and at some point realized, I'm driving myself crazy. Like the brain needs sleep. It needs sleep, but I interviewed this um, a person... Ben Rice, who, who wrote a book on sleep and the invention of sleep, and he says in the 19th century they invent this idea that people need to sleep eight hours, but oh. it's entirely linked to labor and factory times, and there's mm. no no proof, no idea, really? none whatsoever that eight hours is any, has anything to do with the natural rhythms. And then they did this other study, which I know, which is, he's a, is a real book on it that's much more profound than what I'm going to say, but they looked at all these people all over the planet, including people who live in places where there's no artificial light, the only thing that makes a difference, whether it's cooler, you go to sleep, the darkness and light, it makes no difference at all. And people generally tend to sleep around six hours and no more than that. And then they wake up. And then he, this Ben who wrote this book, he said people used to get up at four in the morning, eat a little meal, start the fire, go back to sleep for two hours. So oh. they would sleep for a little bit, take a nap. So all of us who wake up a lot... And Caroline like, doesn't sleep. sleep that much. Yeah. So <laughs> it's horrible. And we had, we had a conversation yeah. last week with someone, Isaac Mizrahi, who is an insomniac. But this regimented feeling not right if you don't sleep for several hours in a row, he said that wasn't even a possibility then. Wow. He said you had to like stoke the fire and all that. You get up, eat a little meal, go back to sleep. That makes sense, though. Right, yeah. Right. And it, it's interrupted sleep, which is considered really bad, used to be the norm. And so people all over the planet sleep for no more than six hours whether it's light or dark, and just it cools down and then you sleep. But probably sleeping for eight hours would probably also be dangerous. Right. It's in the same location. I can't, yeah. Right? Yeah, like a polar bear is going to come and get you. Right. You know, <laughs> Linger exactly. for two more hours <laughs> right. and then the sun right. comes up. But uh, what about all the medical? I mean, I feel like my doctor and my shrink are constantly hectoring yeah. me about the importance of sleep and yeah. the importance mm-hmm. of eight hours. See, they, they, this, all these studies show that eight hours that. is not the number that actually has any bearing on. And, and then they say some people don't need that kind of opening up huh. the visa. Who are those people? Right. I'd, I, I, 
I also don't like sleep that much, and some people love sleep. I would, if I could take uh, something and not sleep at all, I think I'd be okay. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't right. look forward. Oh my! Some people love sleeping, <laughs> which is great, good for them. Yeah. I'd rather be doing things. Me too. Yeah. That. But like, you feel like you need a I certain amount of sleep. It. I mean, yeah. I get, yeah. Yeah, but I. It's interesting. I think about five or six. Yeah. If I have that, mm-hmm. but I tend to wake up also, you know, in the middle of the night periodically. Mm-hmm. I have. I have that. Um, and. But it, sleep is, it's, I don't know if that's just part of the, part of what being human is or and part of what we've, we've been taught one thing, but our bodies are actually right. totally different behaving in this that's other right. way. Mm-hmm. So we never think we're right when maybe it was just normal. Maybe right. this is and just And some cultures have nap time right. every day in the middle of the day. Yeah. It's actually at the workplace, you sleep for 45 minutes. The only thing that the Google campus doesn't have, which has about just about everything, is places to sleep. Uh-huh. So I have a friend who works at Google. He, no, I won't name in what part of Google, what part of when or on earth. And his favorite time is 3 in the afternoon where he goes into the parking lot, goes into his car, and sleeps for 40 minutes. Oh, and he said, you can do anything else. You can play ping right. pong. Get you a can massage. learn this. You yeah. can eat anything you, you want. You can do this. You can go swimming. You can probably do a horseback riding, but you cannot <laughs> sleep. So he sleeps in his car in the parking lot. And I said, are you the only one? He said, uh, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I just revealed that he doesn't work in New York City. <laughs> okay. Oh. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not the Not subway. Not people driving in New York. Yeah, places where people okay. <laughs> What do you consider your greatest achievement? Um. I mean, the easy thing would be this: having done this book. Um, but I think. One of the, uh, what else would it be? Maybe it was, God, I don't want to say this book. It's too, maybe, I think it was the the decision to come to New York. I was living in Los Angeles, but to move to New York, I quit my job. I left everything there, um, and I made this leap to go attend the the creative writing program here at NYU mm-hmm. and then and decided I'm going to try to write a book even though I had never written anything really had never been published had not written a short story except for the application mm-hmm. so I I when I think back I think that was a big leap um and I'm proud of it because there was everything that was saying you shouldn't be doing this yeah um and then there was no guarantee I would ever publish or that I could finish a book or I could write. I, I had no sense of how to do it. So, wow. yeah, I'm glad about that. Wow. That's a great, uh, that's a great story yeah. and maybe hopefully inspiring for people who listen to this. So how did you not listen to those voices of people saying, well... <laughs> I, it took a long time, and I just said, this is just something I am, I'm going to do if... For nothing else but myself, mm-hmm. and I, and hopefully Great. I can find a job after yeah. <laughs> after I graduate if this doesn't work out. Yeah. yeah. If you were to die and come back as another person or as a thing, what or who would that be? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Um, if I could, I'm trying to think of if I could come back as another person. Um, would I would come back at the age they are right now? <laughs> Wait, oh. Come back whenever you want. Yeah, come back whenever you want. <laughs> okay. Um, Why do well, you ask because that? I'm thinking about like what what is the most effective. Way to do this. You want to be the young Obama? No, we want to be <laughs> the young Obama. No, they, and I don't want to be Obama no, now. I'm kidding, I know. Right, you know, I'm not president anymore. I know. Um, oh, but Obama as president would be on the table for you, potentially? Well, it's already passed. That's why I was asking. Oh, like, okay. It would have to be, like, is it somebody right Could now? Could you travel backward in time? Yeah. I, I think, yes. I think the question is pretty <laughs> open-ended. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you were to die and come back. Given that it's untethered from all principles of space and time oh, as really? we know them. I think so. If you oh, were to die and come back as a person or thing. At any time. I think I'm so. Sure, okay, yeah. this is what I would do. Okay, tell us. I would come back as George W. Bush. 
Oh. And I would not invade. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would not invade. And I, I would and I would actually work to wow. <laughs> to educate everyone on huh. Islamophobia and anti Semitism and um, oh. go after the real attackers yeah. if that had to happen. Wow. Yeah. That's that I love that kind of Yeah. And I maybe I wouldn't paint. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Or maybe but, I would, but I'd yeah. be really good at it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's so open-ended. I yeah. think it can be whatever you okay. want. That's a great... But in terms of thinking about ways to go back and rewrite us and alter the course of history, that's a really interesting one to choose, yeah. I think. Right. Because um, I think people... We haven't had this answer, but I could imagine someone saying, well, I would go back and assassinate Hitler. Yeah. Or right. I would go back and, I don't know, stop the sacking of Rome or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But in and actually, you're the first question to say, I would use this question to do something good for the world. Oh, really? Everybody yeah. else says, I want to be uh, something amazing. Answers oh. were wonderful, but they were about, I'm going to be this. I'll be a flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually really interesting. It's that you turned the question into a moral yeah. possibility. Yeah. 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 Uh, where would you most like to live? Oh. Um, I would really love to live in a small, isolated village in France. Okay. Hmm. Because I did a lot of my editing uh, for this book in the village that was, it's one of these old medieval uh, places, villages. The population when I was there, including me, was 65. Wow. Where was the village? Outside of Toulouse. Okay. Oh, okay. So, and it was wonderful. And I got to know all the people, or almost all of them. Wow. There were more sheep in the fields, uh, and I said, gosh, I would love to live here, mm-hmm. or somewhere like this at some point. Mm-hmm. It has that, that quietness that I really like, mm-hmm. and I can get away from from the general chaos of, of life and read and write. Yeah. yeah. How did you choose that particular village? They were just starting a residency, okay. and a friend of mine who knows the people running this said, you would be really great. Uh, can I tell them about you and, and your work? I said, sure. So I went. and Great. Had, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah, so they are looking for people. They look for academics, and then they look for writers. Ooh, just an FYI. Let's go together. Do they have more, did you I, have fellow writers in residence, or was it, it was is it one at a time? It was just me, but the place yeah. is large enough for... Yeah. Since we all have different answers, the idea of 65 people... <laughs> Oh. Puts me into a mild panic. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yes. But you could just go down the hill. Okay. And there's the let me, let me think about it for a moment. There's people with 200, there's a village with 200 people. <laughs> when you want to go to the, the big, big city. city. <laughs> Seems very calm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of terrifyingly calm. Okay. Well, he's not sold. I, yeah, yeah, I definitely oh, am. I would yeah. love yeah, I, no, lo- I loved of, it. Yeah. Let's try it out. We'll give it a try. <laughs> Um, what is your most treasured possession? Oh, um, oh, yeah, uh, this, this bracelet, which I wear all the time, my grandmother gave it to me just before she died. Uh, actually, she gave it to me when I was 12 and made me promise not to take it off. Then my mom took it and took a bracelet that my grandmother had given her when she was a girl and wove the two together and gave it to me. So I have not taken this off since I was 12. Wow. And your mom, that, that's really beautiful work. Yeah. Your mom wove that together herself? Yeah, she had somebody do it, okay. obviously. But it's so this is something beto- with my mom and my, my grandmother. Hmm. So it is really the most, beautiful. I just, I've, it's here. It's yeah. beautiful. Too. Thank you. Cool. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Mm. Uh, hopelessness. I think if yeah, to have that feeling or to experience it as an you know as an individual or as a nation as a as as, as a world is feels to me like the depth. That means there's nowhere else to go. What would be your favorite occupation? And we assume that means if you weren't doing what you're doing right now. Photographer. Hmm. Yeah. What is your most market market characteristic 
And we think that's what people perceive about you first or notice mm. about you when they meet you first, right? Uh, maybe just the... I like to laugh. I really do. I mean, and it's it's slightly ironic thinking about the nature of the books that I read <laughs> and the work that I do, and I'm always looking at conflict mm-hmm. or violence in one way or another. But yeah, the the other the other side, like you have to have that. What do you most value in your friends? Mm. Uh, generosity of spirit. I really appreciate that. Who are your favorite writers? Oh. Um, I can go back to the Greeks, the tragedies. Well, are, your book starts by actually the, the epigraphs the Eli- are from... The Iliad. The, the first one is the Iliad, but there's a second one. Agamemnon. Agamemnon. I love Agamemnon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is an incredible play. Yeah. Um, and I, I read those, and I read them... Um, several times over a course of a year. Yeah. Certain mm-hmm. ones, Agamemnon is one, Medea is another, uh, Antigone is yeah. another. Yeah. And all of the ways that other writers have rewritten these texts, like Krista Wolf with I Clyde love that book. Cassandra. Oh my God. Cassandra. 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 Yeah. Medea. That's one yeah. of her big books. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. That's such right. a, yeah, and you're right. incredible the way she's revisioned those. And these kind of foundational stories yes. that that wind up and you see how Hamlet relates mm-hmm. to Oedipus mm-hmm. you, you see how they've recurred yeah. over and over again right um, that's neat that, yeah. that you re- and they're not that because I, I like to read that stuff too and what people often think oh well you know you're reading Sophocles like that seems so dry or pretentious or pompous but actually yeah. they're they're very quick reads they too are. they're short and they're they pack a lot of punch for a fairly they short right. word count right. so that's great that yeah. you read and reread those. Um, others, though? Other writers? Um, other? Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon is, to me, one of the greatest books One of books the great books. Ever yeah. written. I know. Yeah. When he's on the roof in the beginning. Oh. <laughs> Cracks. My actually, gosh. That, actually, that old character. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, that whole book. Um, and I see her... Also, as part of this conversation that includes E.L. Doctorow, mm. and particularly Doctorow's um, Book of Daniel, mm-hmm. which I find is one of the best books also huh. written. It's I haven't read that one. Incredible. Really? Yeah. And he's, he's taken the McCarthy era, the, um, the execution of the Rosenbergs, mm-hmm. who were accused of, of, of spying for the Soviets, and written this book that's centered around them. Mm. It's incredible. And so I had students, I had my NYU uh, graduate class read it last spring, and they were astounded at at the correlations to this political climate. Mm. And um, Mm. that book is is fabulous. It's also written in a way that is... um, exciting it's structurally he took risks and he's not writing in a very linear fashion Mm -hmm. and that book is stupendous yeah i would highly recommend that was he a teacher of yours here he was not he met i met with him you met with him when you were studying here yeah because he was a he taught at the creative writing yes yes ragtime i mean i love ragtime i teach that sometimes yeah it is an incredible book. Book of Daniel, though. Oh, my gosh. Is, uh, I would read, recommend um, that yeah. to everyone. But be ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who is or are your favorite fictional characters? So the original question is, who is your hero of fiction? But we mm. think that also means hero in a non-gendered way. And also yeah. film, television, other media that have developed oh. with yeah. important, interesting characters since the days of print culture only? Um, I would say, I think one of my favorite films is The Battle of Algiers. And there's a character in there of this little kid. And I don't, if, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to give too much away, but he joins this, this group of revolutionaries trying to fight against the French colonialism. And he's just riveting to me. I kept mm-hmm. watching this little kid throughout the whole film. 
incredible. <laughs> so I um, I was thinking of him and actually of that of all that group the, the, the group of people from that film um, while I was writing my first book, which is also said during a revolution. Mm-hmm. And the the film is amazing, but that that little kid is someone that just keeps popping up in my head when I think mm-hmm. of, of films um, and heroes. Then, um, I mean, in terms of literary literary figures, uh, I you know maybe that uh, who uh, I, there's just there's so many I don't even know where to go if you know I would you know this is. I like Clytemnestra, if we're talking about the Greeks mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Agamemnon and the way that, that Aeschylus rendered her, because this is a woman that's just like, yes, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And the chorus is just saying, you can't necessarily fight her. They're just right. tired. They're old mm-hmm. men, and they keep saying, we're tired. <laughs> and she, at some point after killing Agamemnon, I remember, I will never forget, there's some line where she comes in, and she's, she says, yes, I did it. In fact, I will lift my killing hand and show you. <gasps> oh my God! <laughs> That's so much better than Lady Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get the blood yeah. off blood my hand? Yes. Oh, no, but she said, "I will." This is my killing hand. Uh, it was some huh. line that I just said. She just is not sorry because yeah. her daughter was killed, and for her, there's a different kind of law yeah. that she's following. Yeah. I found that fascinating. So, in terms of maybe these. Uh, a heroine, uh, a hero that is outra- outrageous in the sense that um, breaking laws in order to, to maintain other laws, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find her a really interesting and complicated character. Yeah. Um, who, uh, I, uh, yeah, maybe that's Antigone, maybe, maybe by the Antigone, same logic or less so. Well, Antigone was really interesting. I, I, I look at her as. Um, I, I read her as a refugee. I read her as a displaced person. Mm-hmm. She's with Jason. She doesn't belong there. She has all of these stereotypes that are placed against her. She's in this culture that will not fully accept her. Jason has moved on. And she says again and again, give me a home. Oh, you mean Medea? Medea. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Medea. No, she Antigone. is displaced. No, Antigone is Sophoc- is um, Oedipus's daughter. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's it breaks right. a lot. Yeah, Medea. Yeah, Medea. Yeah. yeah, so Medea. But the I displaced person—that's really. Yeah, and I think of her. So I, she, she does. Yeah, it's for me. She's a more. She's more complicated in, yeah. in that way. Antigone is is correct. Like I will. I will bury my brother. Right. No I will what. do this no matter what. Yeah. There are these certain laws that I must follow. Yeah. yeah. And I and I find that I find that heroic. But there's something about Clytemnestra just completely <laughs> demolishing this household. Like mm-hmm. you know, of course Orestes yeah. is going to come later. This yeah. is yeah, that's going to happen, but for that moment there's no one that can really fight her. Mm-hmm. And she is fighting for this dead daughter. Um, unfortunately, Cassandra gets in the way too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I'm trying to. But in terms of archetypal characters that that I think about, it's often it's often those. Yeah. I love that. I love yeah. That. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Ooh. Um. When I, you know, now, when I think about, um, I've started looking, it's not a particular character or a particular figure, but I've been looking at women over the course of different revolutions and civil conflicts and World War II, and um, I've been thinking about those uh, anti-fascists, the women in the Spanish Civil War, the women that were in Ethiopia, the women... Um, that were in Italy that were fighting against, uh, you know, with the uh, the partisans and um, the people in the these resistance groups that were all across Europe but all across Africa too, in the liberation movements. And I'm the women though I think have been completely inspiring to me. I've been trying to read up and find photographs and learn a little bit more of the history of specific individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I relate to them in the sense that I feel we are in the, in the United States. There's a resurgence of misogynistic laws, also masquerading as patriotism, um, and I we're, the the conversations are are happening now here. But I always look back at these women and say, "How did you do it?" Because they were doing it in ways that they didn't have social media to galvanize each other. Right. You know, they sometimes they were the only ones in a small place, and still they were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, before they even had the right to vote, Absolutely. at least in France. Absolutely. I mean, to yeah, yeah, to be that brave and right. to make that big of a mark in some very dangerous and courageous way. Yes. Yeah. Really extraordinary. Um, who are your heroes in real life? Um, I, w- I guess, you know, my mother would seem like an obvious choice, but she's been, she's lived through so many different moments in, in Ethiopian history. Mm-hmm. She has moved from this society where there were arranged marriages and there were certain ways for women and girls to behave and um, certain things that they should do and should not do. And, you know, she had a high school education and then wasn't really allowed to go much further. She was. She had to marry, and she married my father. But even with that, she was determined to carve her own a self, a world for herself, and create a business and run her work. And that is something that um, most women in her generation did not mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So that you know, I always look to her as as an example. Um, but I think. When I when I think about heroes, I also think about the people within the African Americans in this country, the civil rights movement, um, the the sheer determination over the centuries of this country to just not rest until more change happened. And I think you know when I think about the ways that. Um, the racism in this country continues to decimate communities and families and still women, the mothers of those young Mm -hmm. boys and and girls who are killed are just standing up and speaking to power. That's amazing. Um, So, yeah, they are my heroes because it's hard. People are scared, but they're, they're doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Maya Angelou writes this in the preface to a book um, that the only true manifestation of grace in the world has been the African-American presence in America. That grace, because she said, you could also expect these people to become enraged, consumed with anger, bitter in other ways. But she said, this is grace to actually keep your eye on freedom and dignity. Yeah. And it's really, she said it, and it's, she said, this is, the, we, we, this is why we know this can happen on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's yeah, a, it's, that's beautiful. It's, it's James Weldon Johnson's book, she introduces it, but she said, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I was very moved by that. She said, this is a manifestation of grace yeah. that for hundreds of years we've witnessed in this country. Yes. It's kind of nice what you're describing, yeah. the strength in the face of... This, this yeah, hatred. And yeah. decades, centuries. Centuries of people and just saying, we'll, yeah, it will yeah. not happen. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, it's amazing. What are your favorite names? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> what are my favorite names? Um, I have a... Uh, I was thinking about... What did... And I, I don't think I have... I really... I, I used this name in my first book, Salam, which means peace in Amharic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the... It's a, a name I give one of my characters. And I've always loved that. It's such a... Yeah, I've loved that name. Um, and I've loved Dawit, which means David. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I have it in my first book, and now I have it in my second book. And I tried to convince my brother to name <laughs> one of my nephews that. <laughs> that it didn't it. work. <laughs> good thing you got it in the books. They then. have good yeah. names, but <laughs> I got it in the books. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that you most dislike? Um, 
make this thing a thing? Well, I mean, a, not a trait, but a thing that I most dislike. Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of what drives me crazy when, when it happens. Because, it, yeah, I don't want to say snake. <laughs> because that's not, that's a thing, but that's not, that's not, that's like a fear. That's a, it's a fear, right? That's not a thing I dislike. Um, I think, I just, dis, I dislike, I, I hate when I see people bullying other people in public. Mm. I don't like unfairness. I know sometimes injustice is hard to change, but unfairness mm -hmm. is something that I really... When someone takes someone's seat in a subway, mm -hmm. there have been a couple of times where I pulled that person up. No. So oh. And <laughs> not even with your ideal height, you've been able to I, they were accomplish They that. were about my height or okay. not so <laughs> You did that calculation? <laughs> That's the, like, you know, I see an old lady coming yeah. in to sit, and this young kid... Sit, I'm like, oh no, you don't. You know, I get my professor voice. Yeah, you're quite and a master voice. I've done that kind of a few times. Get that killing <laughs> hand in there. <laughs> so yeah, maybe that's that's a thing I, yeah. you know, that's it's a yeah. little esoteric, but mm -hmm. um, that yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, outside of tripe, <laughs> which is a food thing, okay. which is the worst thing, mm -hmm. but. When we were in Florence, I don't know if you... That, that's the yeah. food, and you would see people lined up eating oh, it. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, yeah. No. You know, no. you never want to say any kind of food is disgusting. Yeah. But I'll... I'll There's a lot of that in James Choice. Really? Oh, my God. Really? A lot oh, of very oh, detailed, oh, luscious descriptions it's, of the text. It's the most I know. disgusting. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Choice is lovers. really yeah. Choice is really big on that. Oh. It gives you the whole sensation while you're reading it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Innards. Innards. Yeah. I'm yeah, not, not, not even, okay. Even that word. Innards. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, what is your greatest regret? If you have one. Oh. Um. You know, it's, it's, is it? Uh, I, Yeah. I remember when I was in high school and there was a kid in my class that was always bullied. And I never said anything. Mm. And we got in touch in, on Facebook when I was on Facebook at some point. Mm. And um, we talked and I said, how are you? And this and But I never said, I'm really sorry for this. Mm. Mm. And now I'm not on Facebook anymore. Mm. So I, I, it's been years. But yeah, I think that would be it because it was... Those kinds of things stick with you. Right. And I never, yeah, I didn't say that. Maybe I should. Yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. not too late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it may mean something to that person. Exactly. May. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How would you like to die? Oh, God. <laughs> you mean in my sleep or through a slow, painful death? <laughs> yeah. We haven't had many people offer the slow, painful. Yeah, you know. <laughs> really? There's a first for everything, though, so. There's a first. <laughs> Tell us more. Well, um... If it was in my sleep, the thing about people who say they want to die in their sleep, don't realize that gives you no time to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. You're just gone. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like some time. I'd mm -hmm. like a pre, like a pre warning. Mm -hmm. Like hello, Maza, you've got a week, mm -hmm. but it'll be a wonderful week, mm -hmm. and then you'll fall asleep, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then I could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what is your motto? Oh. I always, I do have it. It's called, it's, I say, what's the alternative? Hmm. Oh. Whenever I make, I need to make a decision, I want to do something, say, what's the alternative? And usually I'm already oh, living that. the alternative. Mm -hmm. And so I want that difference. Mm -hmm. And I'll just, and I'll go for you it. You do it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, like oh, I love That's that. That's a great one, yeah. Because, you know, you, you hear it sometimes, one hears it used rhetorically, like, well, oh, it's raining outside, but what's the alternative? Right. Like, we don't have a planet anymore. Or the, but the idea that you're actually taking that, question seriously mm -hmm. and considering the alternative yeah 
Yeah, I really... always say it to myself. Hmm. And in when you're working to like when you're writing, yes. Yeah. You're envisioning the different alternative mm-hmm. paths. Exactly. So Carolyn and I add a, uh, one question to this uh, Proust questionnaire, which he answered first when he was 15. And this is, um, who would you like to hear answering these questions? Oh. Is there anybody yeah. you could think? It would be better if they are alive. It's easier. Yeah. This, you'll <laughs> maybe give us an idea for someone. We yeah, yeah, just sort of like what, your, what would be your fantasy guest, someone you would really love to hear answer this set of questions? Uh, there are two people. One is a really good friend of mine, uh, Mona El Tahawi. Mm-hmm. I think she would be great. Yeah, <laughs> she would be fantastic. Right. Um, that I would love to to hear her, and then she and I can have a conversation afterwards. <laughs> Compare answers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say about that? <laughs> and then, um, who else would I really like? I. Uh, Sadia Hartman, yes. whose work I'm I'm just starting to read mm-hmm. now that I'm I'm done with many things, mm-hmm. it, her work is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Like boundary breaking. Yeah. yeah, and I think she would be fantastic. That's yeah. a great idea. Wonderful. And she teaches yeah. at Columbia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so okay. Yeah, she yeah. Does. yeah, yeah exactly. She Let's ask both of them. They're great. And then we'll all go out and have three sips of wine. Yes. Yeah, just three <laughs> thank sips. Sorry. <laughs> Maza, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. That was great. It was really fun. It was really fun. That was great.